Hello and welcome to Inside Maine. This is Angus King and we talk every month or so about issues involving our state and sometimes the country. Today we're talking, because it's the holiday season, about volunteerism, about giving back, about sharing the, the talents and sometimes the wherewithal that we have uh, with other people. And uh, with me as my first guest is Kelsey Priest, who's She's the program officer for Volunteer Maine, which is our state service commission. Kelsey manages volunteer programs in Maine, offers training, professional development, other resources to the staff who work with volunteers all across the state. Kelsey, uh, delighted you could join me. Talk about, give me a sort of outline of Volunteer Maine, how it works, who you work with, uh, the, the structure. Sure. Um, so we're in the Department of Education, um, and you might have heard of us if you've dabbled in AmeriCorps programming at all. We work with the federal level AmeriCorps to bring in funding and get programs up and running here. We have 11 AmeriCorps programs running in Maine right now. Um, and then I work under a separate uh, funding source, the, the Volunteer Generation Fund, and I focus really on the more general community volunteerism in the state. So, like you said, I provide those resources and trainings and things for uh, people who work with volunteers to make a stronger volunteer programs in the state so that not only do volunteers have a better time, but, um, you know, our nonprofits get to have better volunteer programming and, and more effective uh, missions. Well, let me ask before we get into all the different programs, how did COVID affect your your program? Did did you still have a good size uh, group, a cohort of volunteers? Did people volunteer virtually? Uh, tell me about the effect of COVID. Sure. Um, so we actually sent out a survey across the state in the spring of 2021, um, basically asking that question. What, what happened, you know, what happened with your hours, who came, all that stuff. Um, and a pretty good turnout of, of people who asked, uh, who we asked uh, replied and a good smattering from across the state. You know, obviously most, the most came from Cumberland County, which makes sense. And then Aroostook was at the bottom and that totally makes sense for, you know, where our population is. Um, and the good news is that volunteerism did not go away completely. Um, people still volunteered during COVID. It just looked a lot different. And none of this will probably be a surprise to anybody. Um, you know, 94% of the people who responded said that it reduced our eliminated in-person activities. Um, but on the flip side, 97% said that it drastically increased their virtual volunteer opportunities. 81% um, said that, um, you know, their volunteer hours were greatly reduced and 4% said that it was completely eliminated. They had no volunteer hours during, during that time. Um, you know, and, and also there was staff reduction for that as well. So 20% said that they had to reduce staff and 9% said that they had to eliminate staff just due to funding and, and lack of resources. Um, but that being said, uh, a lot of, of organizations reported that they were able to pivot, um, engage volunteers, um, either in a safe way where they could still come in, but maybe they reduced their numbers. Um, they had to change location or they were able to do stuff remotely either on zoom or just kind of on their own time. Um, so in general, you know, people were still volunteering. There was a reduction of seniors volunteering, which is a pretty big hit for volunteerism in Maine. As we know, Maine has the oldest population in the country. 
Um, so it makes sense that a lot of our volunteers are also seniors and they were one of you know, the most at risk for COVID. So um, a lot more young people stepped up, but I think in general, we can say the volunteerism numbers, the volunteerism hours have gone down, but it's, it's slowly recovering. Well, I'm glad to hear it's recovering. Tell, tell me about vo volunteer Maine AmeriCorps. How many AmeriCorps volunteers do we have in the state at any one time? Um, so that sort of depends. So right now we have 11 programs and, um, you know, that can range depending on when the program starts and ends, you know, you do service for a year, um, but it can be, you know, anywhere from 50 to like 150 sort of depending on what's happening. We also have the opportunity sometimes to bring in NCCC, which do um, shorter term three month projects and they kind of travel um, countrywide. So it can fluctuate, but we have, you know, large groups of, of people um, year-round doing, you know, committed service for a whole, for a whole year. And those are some people from Maine, but people from around the country. The AmeriCorps yeah. is sort of the, the descendant of what we used to call the domestic Peace Corps. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. Some of them are our local people who, who wanted to serve their communities. And some of them are people who love Maine and wanted to come visit and live here and become part of their the community. And, and some of them stay too, which is great for Maine. Are there any programs you could sort of outline and, and highlight for us of, of the kinds of work that AmeriCorps and Volunteer Maine do? Sure. Um, so, you know, AmeriCorps uh, has a, a few different programs. There's some that um, work with kids. They provide mentorship for kids. We have a conservation corps that, um, you know, works on our land. Um, I, you know, provide funding. Sometimes if I have funding from other sources, we, you know, we work with um, the Maine Masonic Charitable Foundation to um, sometimes provide funding for uh, groups to engage youth in doing service. Um, so there's, there's quite the smattering of, of what, you know, service can look like um, both on AmeriCorps and just general volunteerism. Well, I think one of the important things is to encourage young people I know at Brunswick High, for example, there's a community service program that's very uh, vigorous and, and it's great, I think, to introduce young people to the idea of community service. Yes, absolutely. And that's something else that we're working on right now. Um, the Mott Foundation gave us a grant to promote service learning, which really um, gives youth the power to decide how they want to tackle a problem in their community. Um, they, you know, they get the resources, they learn all about it, and then they decide how they're going to change that problem in their community, which is really cool. Um, so, you know, we're going to be able to provide training to organizations to know how to run service learning so that it's true service learning and then provide some seed funding so that they can do a project for that. Um, and that's really important for Maine because, as we said, you know, an aging population, we want our youth to feel really connected to their communities. We don't want them to leave. We want them to stay. And service learning is a great way to Get, get youth civically engaged. It's, it's like the best way to, to keep them engaged and to really give them the power to feel like they're part of their community. Is, is, are there service learning programs in every uh, school district and community or is that, is that sort of it's, a, it's a, a occasional? I guess I would say there's, yeah, there's some, um, you know, not even our, most of our school districts, a lot of our, I guess I should say a lot of our school districts don't have volunteer managers as part of them. Some of them do, you know, and so some, some districts don't, uh, focus on that, but a lot of schools also have things like key clubs um, that try to engage students. So uh, there's not necessarily like a hundred percent uniform way of like how we do it in Maine, but um, we're you know we we provide 
all of that training and resources and things that we can uh, to, to make sure that if if kids are interested, if organizations are interested in engaging youth, that we, you know, they can do it correctly and in a, in a good way. Well, the holiday season is, is a good time to be talking about these issues. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we're moving into a time when COVID is going to be diminishing. Uh, but it's, uh, uh, th this is the time when, when we, we need to reach out. Now, if, if we have listeners right now who are interested in volunteering, uh, wherever they are, what, what's, what's the first step? What should, they, what should they do? I think you should, you know, if, if you're interested in volunteering, think about what causes you're really passionate about. Um, is it hunger? Is it refugee resettlement? Um, connecting with seniors. There's, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that, and, and so then look in your community and see um, what organizations are doing that work and see what, what resonates with you. Um, and, and I guess the other thing I would say is, is don't be afraid to shop around a little bit. Like there might be multiple organizations or you think, you know, you know, look for an organization that you really feel like you could commit to. Cause one of the best things that we can do as volunteers is to like really commit our time. And I would challenge anybody who's thinking about volunteerism, um, you know, wanting to get out there and help their community, um, make it like a new year's resolution for yourself to like, be like, you know, this year I'm going to really think about and focus on volunteering and giving my time. Um, and the other thing too about volunteerism is I think we think a lot about when we think about volunteering, we think about um, kind of the boots on the ground, you know, sorting food, delivering things, which is great and 100% needed. Um, but think about what skills you might have, you know, either from your job or from your hobby. Like if you um, are, are someone who's just a total accounting geek and you love, you know, books, there's probably organizations in your community who could really use that help going through their books and making sure they have balanced budgets or that they're ready for their taxes. Um, that's another way to think about it. Like what skills do you have that you can donate that time well, that you, you, otherwise you've just opened you've just opened my mind i never thought of uh, accounting <laughs> yeah. as a volunteer service but there that that's one uh, and uh, mentoring of course is a huge deal Absolutely, big brothers yes. big sisters we we need more and more of that uh, and uh, engagement in the community in, in any any number of different ways yeah, absolutely. Kelsey, I, I want to thank you so much for, for what you're doing and, and for the information you've shared with us. I think I think the overall message is if you've got skills and passion uh, for helping your community and helping people, there are plenty of opportunities in the community throughout the state and uh, uh, volunteers, uh, particularly at the holiday season, are particularly important. But uh, uh, we've got so many people in Maine with so much talent. Uh, they ought to, uh, they, 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 uh, uh, we, we want to give them every opportunity to put those talents to work on behalf of their fellow citizens. And the holiday season is a great time uh, to think about it. One last thing, is there a number people can call for, for you or for, is there some central sort of clearinghouse for volunteer opportunities? Sure, they can visit our website, um, volunteermain.gov, and there's a drop down for volunteers and you can search by county. Um, areas and there's uh, all kinds of posts there about what what's needed in the community. What a great idea. Volunteersmain.gov. Uh, give yourself a Christmas present and uh, uh, see what you can do to, to serve in your community. Kelsey, thank you so much for what you do for the state. And uh, we're going to come back uh, in Inside Maine in a couple of minutes and talk to Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana.
who spent a great deal of his time uh, serving the public to talk about opportunities on the national level. Kelsey, thank you. Stay with us for Inside Maine. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Inside Maine. This is Angus King, and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by my friend Bill Cassidy, who is a senator from Louisiana, who has spent a great deal of his life giving back and uh, providing uh, service. He's a physician and uh, providing services and developing services for people in uh, his communities in Louisiana. Bill Cassidy, welcome to Inside Maine. Great to have you. Angus King, I am so pleased to be with you, and I can see you. You have snow in the background. I'm kind of liking the fact that I'm in Louisiana right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll I'll let that one pass. Uh, Bill, tell me about your your history a bit, and and the the clinics that you've established and and worked on, and and sort of a little bit of an unusual path for a physician. Yeah, my medical practice was in a public hospital for the uninsured and underinsured, teaching medical students and residents with LSU Medical School. At some point, I began a hepatitis B vaccination program. We ended up vaccinating 36,000 children in public, private, and parochial schools in a 10-parish or 10-county area at no cost to the students, the parents, or the school system. All kind of birthed, if you will, an 18-year-old patient came to me uh, with liver failure from hepatitis B, and we helicoptered her out for a liver transplant. One of the worst days of my medical career, because I realized a $50 vaccine could have saved, uh, at that time, probably $300,000 in medical expenses. A, a lot of similarities to the vaccine debate today. Anyway, that said, uh, she survived, didn't need a transplant as it turns out. That was wonderful. But it kind of motivated me to start that vaccine project. And lastly, in my medical practice, uh, there would be long lines because we were the hospital for all the uninsured. But there was some working uninsured that didn't have enough money to buy insurance, but uh, were too rich, if you will, to get on Medicaid. So we started a free clinic for those who were working a virtual clinic so that if they were working, they could go see a private dentist or a private physician, get their services need very quickly as they would any private patient, then go back to work. And so that was one of the other things that I did along the way. Well, I think the important point here is that, you know, you and I are right now in the government business and we're, we're trying to develop programs and work on programs that will help people through you know, various government programs. I just got off a call with uh, uh, Department of Agriculture, Rural Development that's helping with some projects up here. But there's still no substitute for local initiatives, for people stepping up in their community, uh, whether it's in a, a pretty important position like you had as a, as a, as a doc, or just, uh, you know, people that uh, ring the bell at Christmas time for the for the Salvation Army or volunteer at a soup kitchen. I mean, that, that's got to be part of what we do. We, we, can't, we can't get in a place where we count on the government to do everything. And so, Angus, I'm going to echo that in spades. The, I remember when we started our hepatitis B vaccine project. 
CDC, Centers for Disease Control, had sponsored an initiative in another part of the country. Gave them lots of money to do this, do the do the program, to study it, et cetera. They published it was really good. But afterwards, they were dependent upon CDC money, and the program did not continue. We had to kind of figure it out from local resources. And yes, we got free vaccine from the federal government through the Vaccine for Children's program. But otherwise, everything else had to be done by, let's put it together. And so we had sustainability. And we continued that program as long as we needed to and until, um, I won't go into detail, but until it no longer was needed. That was a sustainable program. So if you can figure out how to do it on a local level, you're probably going to have a program with permanence as opposed to waiting for manna from heaven, in which case when the manna stops, you can't continue anymore. And, and also, it's, it's just part of what creates community. Yes. I mean, it, 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 it uh, you know, public service. When I grew up, my dad was in, was a Rotarian and, you know, they were, they'd give scholarships and they'd have pancake breakfasts and support local kids and that kind of thing. And I, I just, uh, you know, this is a time of year when, when we need people to step up. We have a project up here. Unfortunately, the last couple of years, it's had to be virtual called Stuff the Bus where we park uh, school buses around uh, shopping centers and people fill them up, literally fill them up with food. And it goes to our local, uh, uh, you know, soup kitchens and, and uh, food pantries. And it's, but it's all, it's all volunteer. I mean, it's all, I go down at Thanksgiving and help unload the buses and we have a, like a bucket brigade uh, filling up the food pantry with, uh, with things that, you know, it's, it's, it's volunteer all the way across the line. And, and that's what it seems to me is part of, part of what this time of year is all about, but also all times of year. I'm totally agreeing with you. I have um, relatives in Boston area and my niece's husband, he is a volunteer coach for his children's sports teams. And you go out there and all the parents are out there, principally dads, but all the parents are out there, and it makes such a difference for this volunteer corps. My grandson's in a Cub Scout troop, and there it's a woman that kind of uh, coordinates things and a guy that kind of runs the show during the meeting itself. But, but both parents that are making it work, and then lastly, my church with the Sunday school, those people that plug in have an investment in, the, in many people's lives they touch. So I agree with you. We think of it over Christmas. We should give it Christmas, but we should give all year round. People have given to us. It's maybe our turn. Well, and that's uh, <laughs> you mentioned uh, uh, volunteers and coaches. My the best coach my son ever had in football was a was a Navy chief at the Brunswick Naval Air Station who used to yell at them like they were recruits and make them <laughs> drop down and do. Uh, do push-ups and they they love the guy and and you know this was a volunteer this was eighth grade football and he he was uh like i say he was at the naval base here he was stationed here from somewhere else in the country but he made a real uh contribution to the community and now we do need though uh sometimes we need organization americorps i think is a great organization uh and and i, I would like to see that expanded as, as have some kind of National Public Service uh, Program, you know, Chris, our friend Chris Coons from Delaware has been a big, big advocate of a, of of, of a, some kind of national public service. We don't have the draft anymore, 
but uh, something that young people could do for a year to 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 give back and sort of get in the habit of of uh, contributing to the community. So AmeriCorps also has options for seniors, those who have finished their career in one sense, but now would wish to give back or stay engaged in another sense. Oftentimes building upon their core competency, I was a business guy at one point in my life, but I can continue. I only mention because yes, it's principally for younger people, but it can also be for those who are more senior. And going back to the younger folks, um, I this is a classic example of the person giving benefits and the person receiving benefits. And it allows personal development in the course of it, but also, again, benefits those receiving. So AmeriCorps kind of uh, asks for local participation. You got to put up your own money, but then you pull down volunteers at a subsidized rate. And as you mentioned, a, a form of public service uh, that allows for career development and personal development. Well, my, my first job uh, after finishing law school was with Pine Tree Legal Assistance in Maine, in a small town in Maine called Skowhegan. Uh, and it was very, very rural area. And it was probably the most formative experience of my life because I was, you know, instead of leaving law school and going to a big law firm in Washington or New York, I was in this small town uh, trying to help people who, you know, got crosswise with the legal system. It wasn't criminal law, it was civil law, but but they were, you know, I worked on things like school lunches for kids and, and housing and that kind of thing. But it, it, it sort of grounded me at the at the very beginning. And in a sense, being in politics 50 years later is a is an outgrowth of that of, of that work. But that's that's where my my really my biz, my professional life started was uh, was uh, with this uh, uh, little. I remember we were on the second floor of a rickety old building in the town of Skowhegan, which is a, as I say, a small town in a rural area, principally dependent upon the forest. But you know those kinds of experiences as a young person, uh, uh, they 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 stay with you. They really do. And I was so privileged in my work with the Hospital for the Uninsured because I interacted with folks who otherwise I would not normally interact with. And I would I worked there for 20 something years. And so you see folks over a course of time, good folks who, um, you know, but their jobs were such that they didn't have insurance or people who had addiction, but you see them work through their addiction. You see them come out of their addiction. You see them become citizens in the future. And so uh, contributing to others and contributing to society. And you see some people who frankly just continue on a downward path. The richness of that experience takes us out of a course we would normally have. And in that enrichment benefits whatever course we end up on continually. I can certainly look back upon my legislative career. It's so profoundly influenced by the folks I was privileged to work with in my past. Yeah, well, there's you and I both uh, came sort of late to politics, and and I think there's some advantage to that. Not to uh, criticize those who started at a younger age, but uh, I always felt that the experiences I had, you know, with Pine Tree Legal and as an entrepreneur and as a small town lawyer, all contributed to, uh, you know, the the work that that we're doing now to try to help people on a 
on a national scale. You mentioned seniors, and, and volunteering isn't just for younger people. You know, the SBA has these wonderful programs with for retired business people, you know, SCORE. Uh, I think, I can't remember, it's something retired executives to help out business people. In my experience, people starting out in business, often the, the thing that they lack more than anything else is information. And that's where a, a mentor who's been through it can, can be really helpful. So there's, there are opportunities all, all up and down the line from, for, for younger people. We have, do you have service learning in your schools down there? We have something called service learning that I think is very important that the kids in high school take on a project in the community. And, uh, you know, they have that, they get that experience of the gratification of giving back. Yeah. I don't know if we have that, but it sounds like an incredible program. Uh, and my daughter participated with something of that in the high school she went to, but I don't know if it's general. I don't know if everybody has that. Uh, but service, actually. So in, in Mark, the Gospel of St. Mark, uh, chapter 10, verses uh, 42 through 45, Jesus speaks about, and you and I can relate to this. Uh, he says, among your worldly rulers, they lord it over you. Among you, it is not to be. For he or she who desires to lead must be a servant, and he or she who desires to be first must be a slave. And so there is a principle of leadership taught by service that is recognized in our Holy Scripture, but as a principle of life going forward. And if folks want to know how to get ahead in politics, learn how to serve. Well, and, and you go go a couple of chapters forward to Mark twenty uh, Matthew twenty five, and that's where he talks about what you do to the least of these, my brothers, you do unto me. And and it's visiting people in prison and healing the sick, uh, which you did in a big way, or uh, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry. Um, that's that's what we're called upon to do, and and we don't have to do it. it Government can certainly play a major role, and, and I don't mean to minimize that. And the things, the things that we do to, to support AmeriCorps and other kinds of programs are, are important. But uh, this is a time where I think uh, everybody can be thinking about what you know, what 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 our opportunities are, what our options are, and also, frankly, what our obligations are. Yes, uh, well put. Well put. Well, listen, Bill, thanks a lot for, for joining me, and uh, uh, you're welcome in Maine anytime. You, I was delighted to welcome you up here last summer, and hopefully we can do that again, and I'll be able to visit you down in, in uh, Baton Rouge. I appreciate that very much, Angus, and I enjoyed tremendously. And, 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 I, and um, I look forward to swapping some crawfish for some lobster. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. Thanks so much, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. I'll uh, see you in a couple of weeks back in Washington. And thank you for your life of, of service uh, and uh, the example that, that you've set for all of us. And thank you all in Maine for listening, being with us, and uh, joining us on Inside Maine. And enjoy the holiday, and we'll look forward to seeing you in the new year.